0: Welcome to the Abundant Life Church sermon of the week. We hope you enjoy this message by our guest speaker. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. We'll uh, we'll get started here. Today's going to be just a little different. Than I I like um, I like kind of picking a topic and then developing the thought and finishing it off. And I guess I will today, but this is just a little different. At work at noon, a lot of times I watch YouTube videos, and that costs me money occasionally. Um, (laughs) Because, yeah, you too, huh? I saw Mike Rowe, the dirty jobs guy, review a book. And uh, I thought... That looks like a good book to read, so I bought it. It's called *The Detective in the Dooryard*. It's the reflections of a Maine cop. The author is Timothy Cotton, and uh, it's just a bunch of short stories about his life as a as a detective in Bangor, Maine. And <clears throat> there's I'd like to. there're just a couple short things here that I'd like to read to you to kind of lay the groundwork for what I'd like to discuss with you this morning. <clears throat> Title of this little story is The Best he, he Has. It says the clothes were not new and they probably belonged to several other people prior to ending up on his back. You could see as we passed him from time to time that he only had one outfit dirty tan pants, some kind of shirt, and an old sports jacket that was far too big for him. I never paid attention to his shoes. The route to church varied, but we occasionally drove past the man sitting on his stoop in front of an unpainted and weather-clapboard-sided building. I came to realize in later years, before the structures were torn down, that the paint had become bleached and dull from being pounded by snow and rain, later left naked to fade in the hot sun. There were spots where the former coating of paint had been more resilient, but those spots were few. Still, it was the man I watched for. I don't ever remember seeing his face, but as a youngster, I pictured it covered with gray whiskers in need of a trim, similar to the way I look now 45 years later. When I skipped the razor on days off in the summer <clears throat> if I were to describe it, I might say rough, old, and unkept. I rode to and from the church with the pastor on Sunday mornings in the late fall and winter. We went up in early, we went in early to turn up the heat. And bring the concrete block structure up to an adequate temperature for the elderly ladies who would soon inhabit the forward pews. I call it adequate because that's all it was. It never seemed warm to me. It was made clear that heating the building was an expense that needed to be reined in. The elderly ladies usually wore their dark blue or gray full-length wool coats through most of the service. The pastor sometimes got an earful from them regarding how chilly it was inside. In the summer, I would catch a ride to church well before service started. We would turn on the box fans and open the windows to freshen up the old place. During the downtime, I might even return wayward hymnals and hard-covered Bibles to their proper storage slots on the back of pews. I can remember those days. (coughs) Sometimes on the drive home from church, depending on our route, we'd roll by the stoop where the man saw sat. I don't recall ever seeing any children, but I'm sure there were some, and I assume they wore similar clothing. It was on one of those trips that I asked the pastor why the man was always wearing the same tattered tan pants and improperly sized sport coat. I don't think I verbalized it in the same manner that I wrote that sentence but he understood my question. He was no stranger to growing up with little. He shared stories of a post-war family led by a widowed mother who toiled away doing shift work at the paper mill in his hometown. He had four brothers and one sister. His father had been killed in the prime of his life while working in the woods in western Maine. (coughs) He had been a lumberman. Adversity to him was normal as a warm bed clean clothes, and plenty to eat was to me, the observant and inquisitive boy in the back seat. I believe the most profound words in our lives are sometimes missed because we're too busy waiting for an opportunity to be profound ourselves. (laughs) That's a mouthful right there. I'll read it again. I believe the most profound words and our lives are sometimes missed because we're too busy waiting for an opportunity to be profound ourselves. When you're nine or ten years old, being <laughs> profound is not even on the agenda. It's doubtful that the minister knows that what he said became an internalized firewall for me. Over the years, it helped me remain silent. When I found myself being judgmental, about how someone appeared, how they were dressed, whether they were fat, skinny, poor, or showed up dressed in someone else's old and ill-fitting clothes. I think his stories about growing up in a hardscrabble way had an effect on me. I learned that someone's outward appearance has nothing to do with their heart or intentions but it also gave me the ability to hit pause before I judged someone. I don't write this to tell you that I've never partaken in the evil human sport of making fun of someone because I have. I'm as guilty as anyone else who's joining judgmental conversations. His eight words are a simple reminder for me that we never know exactly what kind of terrain another person has had to travel to get to their current place in life. The pastor's pastor's words were clear. Son, maybe it's the best that he has. That pastor was my dad. And I can assure you that those eight words were among the best gifts he ever gave me. Guess what I'm going to talk about today. you ever hear of a thing called Grace? <clears throat> you know, have you ever tried to figure out what grace really is i mean we we've got acronyms for it, right? Great riches at christ's expense um, but really understanding. How grace works in our lives, I think, is something we need to get a better handle on. And one of the things, one of the ways it works is just like this. Be careful. We are given great grace. We'll get into some scripture here in just a minute. And we're saved by that grace. So if we have great grace in our lives, and it has been given to us, freely, shouldn't we be gracious people? If if we are willing to accept the grace of God, we should be willing to give grace to others. And grace is essentially unmerited favor. A.W. Tozier said, grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits on the undeserving. That's a good way to put it, because we're certainly undeserving. And <clears throat> there is a, there's a good example in scripture, if we turn to John, the eighth chapter, starting at the second verse, it says, And early in the morning he came again into the temple, He being Jesus. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they say unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? So <clears throat> do you do you find anything odd about what they're trying to do here? They bring in the woman caught in adultery. That means there had to be a guy involved the there somewhere, right? Where was he? Probably one of their buddies, right? So the law says that we should stone her. Do you know people that like to accuse and talk about others usually just talk way too much. Because think about this. If they'd have kept their mouths shut and stopped right there where it says, the law says we should stone her, and then waited for Jesus, he would have been in a hard spot. But they added, what do you say? <laughs> Grace, you know what they did? They gave grace a chance, and so, when they gave grace a chance, Jesus stooped down and he he wrote in the dirt, and he led looked up at him, and he said, "Those of you without sin, let him cast the first stone." I imagine there was a bit of a pause, and he looks down and he writes again in the dirt and it's pretty quiet and stones start to fall from hands. As the accusers who talked too much turned and walked away, when Jesus turned the mirror on themselves so they could see what they were doing, then he looked up at the woman and said, Woman, where are thine accusers? She said, I have none, Lord. He said, good, go and sin no more. Grace gave her another chance. He, he, grace gave her a chance to go and sin no more. It wasn't too late for her because grace came along at just the right time. So... <clears throat> We, like this woman, like this guy in the story, we've received great grace. We should treat each other like we have received great grace. You know, the Bible says that we, the body of Christ, should prefer one another. Um, What does that mean? I think what it means is before you judge a brother or sister in the Lord for whatever you might condition, you might think they deserve judgment for, or for which they earn. they deserve judgment, not to leave a dangling participle there, <clears throat> you better be careful and just go take a quick look in the mirror because we all need grace and none of us deserve it. You know, the Bible says that grace has appeared unto all men. All men. We think of grace as a New Testament concept, but it is not. It is a God concept. It's a Bible concept. It's not a New Testament word. It's a Bible word because you barely get started reading the Bible. And in the sixth chapter of the book of Genesis, we we find a guy that says in Genesis 6 and 9, or 6 and 8 rather, it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Six chapters in, here's grace. Verse 9 says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations And Noah walked with God. So how did Noah get his righteousness? He got his righteousness because grace found him. He got it because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And you don't want to get verse 9 before verse 8 that says Noah was a just man. He was a just man after grace found him. So, you know, our righteousness is what? Filthy rags before God. So it's just his grace that helps us to see, him to see us through different eyes. And grace, you know, for Noah, grace had a plan, but just a minute. I've got a little interjection I'd like to give you here. And this is going to be free and I I, I come from the... My roots are in the upper peninsula of Michigan up there in the UP, hey? And anything that's free is worth saving up for, let me tell you. (laughs) Okay, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. If you have ever considered the history of our country, how we were founded in 1776... I believe that the United States of America found grace in the eyes of the, of the Lord. Um, here's a news flash. There were no apostolics present in 1776. We didn't come along till 1901 in Azusa street. So all of those years, between 1776 and 1901 the grace of God was manifold to the USA. And God knew, Here, I think this is what's really important. And when we, when we look at current circumstances in life, we tend to get the binoculars out and we just look at what's happening right now. and Why God is this and why God is that. But think about this. In 1776, God knew that for his spirit to be poured out again in the way it was in Azusa Street, that there had to be a free country where people could worship any way they wanted. God had a plan. Grace had a plan. And so here we are today, the beneficiaries of the of the grace that the USA found in the eyes of the Lord. Well, grace had a plan for Noah. You know what the plan was for Noah? Build a boat. (laughs) I can just hear the conversation, right? Build a boat. I'm 500 miles from the nearest water. I'm in my front yard. (laughs) Uh, By the way, I've never built a boat. The response, well, build a boat. I'm going to destroy the world with water, so build a boat. Well, how big should it be, Lord? Well, um, make it 300 cubits long. That's a football field and a half long, fifty cubits wide and thirty cubits high. Tourists came by to see the boat. Why are you doing this, Noah? Well God told me to. Oh, it's a God thing. Yeah. It's a grace thing. <clears throat> Noah was five hundred years when he started years old when he started to build the Ark. I'm seventy two and I couldn't I couldn't lay the keel (laughs) and so think of the circumstances it's just doesn't make any sense at all because he's not near water he's never built a boat he's 500 years old and so when grace comes to us with a plan it doesn't mean that it's always going to be an easy plan. Sometimes we're going to struggle to do what God wants us to do. And, but it doesn't matter. You know, then it took Noah, what, 120 years to build the, the boat? Was it 120? So he's 620 years old when it's time to go in the boat. And God filled the boat with animals. And so we know what happened. There were, what, eight souls that were saved by that boat. Grace had a plan for Noah's life. And he's got a plan for our lives as well. So in that 120 years that Noah, it took Noah to build a boat. You know how many people he converted to believe that this was going to happen? None. He worked for 120 years and never had a convert. I hope you do better than that, Pastor. (laughs) I think Jeremiah was the only other one, only other prophet that never had a convert. So Noah's 620 years old and he, he, he just trusted the grace giver. And so when God tells you that grace is good for you, it's not so you can go out and sin some more. It's so you can yield yourself to the giver of the, that grace and walk through life under the umbrella of the grace of God. The umbrella of the grace of God, when we walk into this place, grace is here it covers this place when we walk into this place we walk into the favor of god we walk into you know he's not he's not neutral he's taken up sides i love psalms one eighteen six. 6 as god's the lord is on my side why should i fear what can men do unto me So, when we walk into this place, we walk into the umbrella. You know what? Living under the umbrella of grace, I'm trying. This is part of the work in progress that's me. Instead of God asking God, oh, bless this, bless that, do this, do that, Uh, we're living under the umbrella of grace. Walk the path. Walk with God and just let his grace be the blessing to you and let it direct your path. And when it does, you don't have to worry about what you do being blessed when we live under that umbrella of grace. So the other thing is, um, is grace sufficient? Well, let me just read a a few other scriptures here about how grace relates to our salvation. Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 1, And you hath he quickened, who are dead in trespasses and sins, wherein time passed, he, he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had all our all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherein He, he loved, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved." And hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace. in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves it's the gift of God. Not of works lest any men should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Grace and mercy are sisters and brother. Grace is when you get stuff you don't deserve, and mercy is when you don't get stuff that you do deserve. And so, you ever, you ever get up in the morning and think about grace and mercy? You know why it's good? Because God's mercies are new. When? Every day. And how long do they last? Forever. So every morning, think about grace. Think about mercy. And then thank God for the grace that brought salvation to you. Because we're like Noah. We didn't get good to get God Grace came to us, and grace is what made us become what we have become. Now, <clears throat> getting close, I'm going to close with a video today that's about eight and a half minutes. We, is grace sufficient? Remember Paul in his struggle with the, uh, the thorn in the flesh? Three times he went to God and asked him, To take it from him, what was God's answer? My grace is sufficient for you. The boat that Noah built was way bigger than it had to be. The plan that grace had for Noah, grace was much more than sufficient. They could have loaded a lot of people in that boat. Hmm. so in in our in, in Christianity part of our worship is we sing songs about some of the things that, that uh, are precious to us if you think of a song about grace what comes to mind amazing grace that's a pretty easy one Well, this video is a man by the name of Wintley Phipps. He's a, you can see already, he's a a black gentleman. And he's going to give us some insight into the song written that we sing today, Amazing Grace. I think this will bless you. I think it will inspire you. And if you feel like getting up, and worshiping, feel free to do so because grace is truly amazing. Go ahead.
1: This has been an awesome night, isn't it, everyone? How many of you like Negro spirituals? An old black lady down south showed me something about the Negro spirituals and I want to share it with you. Uh, You know, the black folk down south had more sense by accident than some of us have on purpose, you know what I mean? You didn't hear what I said. I heard an old black lady say, Son, if the mountain was smooth, you couldn't climb it. Uh Uh-huh, think about that for a minute. But did you know, she said to me, did you know all, just about all Negro spirituals are written on the black notes of the piano? This is absolutely true. You can go home tonight and play almost any Negro spiritual, just play the black notes on the piano. You look skeptical. Now, you can't see it out there, but I want you to watch. Watch. There are five black notes on the piano. And those same five black notes just keep recurring. You can go home tonight and play almost any Negro spiritual. Just play the black notes. Watch. You know that? Every time I feel the spirit, just black notes. Watch this. That's because the slaves didn't come to America with do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti do. That's somebody else's scale, okay? All they had in their musical scale were those five black notes. We know it in music as the pentatonic scale. And they built the power and pathos of the Negro spiritual on five notes. When you study music, you also come across what are known as white spirituals. Did you know that? And they are white composers who work with those... That scale, in early America, they used to call this the slave scale. And I'm going to play for you what some musicologists think is the most famous white spiritual built on the slave scale or just the black notes. tonight know who wrote that song? I heard it, a man by the name of John Newton. But do you know what John Newton did before he became a Christian? He was the captain of a slave ship. And many believe heard this melody that sounds very much like a West African sorrow chant. And wrote the words Amazing Grace and set his words to a slave melody I looked up that song I believe God wanted that song written just the way it was written just so that we would be reminded that as Christians whether black or white free or bond in his eyes we're all connected we are connected and we are connected by God's amazing grace hallelujah we are connected by God's amazing grace. Woo! I looked up that song in the Library of Congress. I looked up, I went to the Library of Congress, I looked up that song, and wherever you see it authentically printed, you know what it says? Words, John Newton, melody unknown tell the Lord when I get to heaven I want to meet Abraham and Isaac and Jacob but boy I want to meet that slave called unknown <laughs> and, I, and I, I, I recorded that song the way I hear it when I sing it I still hear the sounds of the slave ships in the water I want to sing it for you the way John Newton probably first heard it coming up out of the belly of the ship Listen.
2: But now I see